It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. You know, I, I don't hold a hose, mate, and I, I don't sit yeah. in control room. They're answers that only can come from Victoria, I'm afraid, because that's not my job. Well, I ain't spending any time, because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. Well, good day, listeners, and they're off and racing now uh, in the uh, 2022 federal election. Now, the two jacks. Uh, we've got to be open about this. Uh, we did have a free swing last week. We went to the nets, and uh, we uh, we had a bit of a run around. We had we had presumed that Scott Morrison was going to go to the people on the fourth of April, and we decided to get out there early. But of course, he didn't. He didn't go until uh, he didn't go until the tenth of April. That's when he drove to Yarralumla. G'day, Jack from Hong Kong. Hong Kong, Jack. How are you, mate? G'day, mate. I think we'll just call that a captain's run, won't we? Yeah, I oh know, just a just a just a hit out in the nets, mate. But I tell you what, I was hitting them right in the middle, and uh, I, I feel pretty good about it. I feel pr- pretty good about it as we go on for the next five and a half weeks. Very long campaign. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yes, uh, Scotty did the um, the drive to Yarralumla, and it was it was added on by uh, the VIP jet landing at Canberra Airport too. So it was a, a real yeah. uh, real festival. It's becoming it's becoming more and more absurd each time, really, isn't it? You know, um, the, we, I, I turned on the telly up here in Hong Kong of the ABC, and they had uh, live shots of the of the plane sitting on the tarmac <laughs> at uh, uh, at Fairbairn. There, you know, uh, uh, quite ridiculous. No, no, we can't we can't laugh too much, but because uh, we thought he was going to going to go to Yarralumma on the four on the third, but uh, um, but really, if he didn't go on the third. He had to go this Sunday, so there was no great surprise about any of this. He really needed to, to go this week. Um, look, the first. I'm, thing- I'm, just, I'm just thinking next time they'll have a plane tra- trailing the, uh, the, the <laughs> choppers. VIP jet, you know, a choppers, you know, yeah, choppers well, filming it in yeah, the air. Yeah. Now the Prime Minister of the time of the day might have to call in the RAAF uh, yeah. that one, Jack. Uh, get a, get some birds in the air. Um, look, I did notice too, just as an aside for the conditional release program people, there were there, so we've got the Occupy Canberra movement going on there, which is a pretty poor show. It's only a couple of hundred of them, <laughs> if that, uh, and they all were. Um, Basically, uh, standing, um, standing as a cortege for the for the prime minister's car to come through. There was some AFP around there to make sure nothing happened. Um, but um, uh, the uh, the Occupy Canberra mob, the cookers we call them, they all said we predicted this. We predicted that there would be an election call today. And you thought, well, really, that's not great, you know. I mean, I, I won't get your Melbourne Cup tips just yet if you don't mind. Yeah. So we o- have the time o- to occupy occupy camera. We had occupy Hong Kong for about yeah. Oh, look at this. But we had about fifty thousand of them every every day. Oh, this, is, this is sad, mate. This is really sad. There's a, there's a couple of hundred of them at best, and they're not really occupying it. They're just being nuisances, you know. Um, um, <laughs> they have terrible trouble with buses. I won't go on with it, but it's the most okay. pathetic thing you've ever seen. We don't have process anymore. We have occupations, which is just yeah. awful. Um, the timetable. Um, the uh, the rolls close on the 18th of April. So uh, if you've moved house or, uh, well, there's automatic, automatic uh, enrolment now. 
now through the AAC. But if you've changed house, changed circumstances, etc., you've got to get it done by the 18th of April. Yeah, well, I, I'm actually off the rolls at the moment. I'm still oh, looking, well. at, looking to see how I can get back on. Well, but that's that, that's because I've been out of the country for 12 or 13 years, and somehow the uh, the electoral commission uh, managed to get me off, and it's pretty tricky to get back on from up here. So knocked, knocked on the door, and yeah. uh, knocked and on the, the door at your no, residence, <laughs> and says, "Is there a, is there a Hong Kong Jack here?" And the the uh, residents at that place said no, and that was it for you, I guess. Yeah. That's- Apparently that's what's happened, yeah. Yeah, nominations for candidates close on the 21st of April. Now, that's a bit of an issue, isn't it, Jack? Because the well, lips... Well, I, I haven't printed the, the form off to have a crack yet, you know. No, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's right. And it means a little bit for our markets. But the Libs in New South Wales have got some... Well, it, it's been largely resolved, but their pre-selections, um, a lot of them are still in the air. The Victorian uh, Labor Senate, uh, nominees are still in the air, so they got to get their uh, uh, they got to get their work done. Going to have to f- have a few late nights to get their candidates, and they're the two major parties. Mm. Uh, and uh, for the uh, raft of independents and single issue parties, they're going to have to get it all done by the twenty first of April. Indeed. And when can people have a? When can people uh, write uh, uh, drive into the uh, or drive down to the ballot box, Jack? What's the earliest date they can uh, do that? Ninth of May, I believe the pre poll starts, Ninth which of sort May. of indicates that a fair bit of the heavy work of the campaign is going to have to be done before that. Yeah, uh, because uh, particularly in COVID times, I think a lot of people will take advantage of the pre poll mm. and and line up when they. Well, what we did see in, um, uh, what we, I'm not quite sure, the uh, South Australian figures, to be honest, um, uh, but the New South Wales by-election figures were that you had basically 50% of, of voters pre-polling. Mm. Um, so that's a big number and it does impact on campaigns, of course. So you've got 12 days to get your vote in, including a polling day the 21st of May. Have you had a look at the polls, Jack? No, I haven't, but I, I, I know you have. I, I had a quick glance this morning, but I know, oh, I, I know you're all over them. It's like heroin for uh, for us in the commentariat. Uh, when, the, when the news poll comes out of a Sunday night, it, it, they, they, uh, the, the Australian try to keep it very close uh, to their uh, to their hats. And there's a, there's, a, there's a bloke on Twitter called The Ghost Who Votes who... Who uh, who seems to have an in, and, and every now and then they try to trick him by, by feeding him some dodgy results, and then coming out at about midnight with uh, with the actual news poll results. So the news poll will be weekly now, and we'll update you it on uh, every week as we go through the podcast and through the campaign. Uh, the primary vote. Uh, was Coalition 36 unchanged, Labor down one on 37, Greens 10, fairly consistent, that. I'm quite mm. sure that that'll be the case when we actually go, when we actually count the votes. Greens 10, uh, others 10, that includes UAP on their primary vote figures, and Fon on three. I just want to do some quick calculations here, Jack. So you've got Coalition 36, Labor... 37. That's 73 percent. Now, in the 2019 election, it was 71, and we can talk about the trend running over a number of decades, uh, going down from, I guess, in 1977, I think it was 92 percent 
of people voted for the major parties and now it's down into the 70s. But my point is, do you think, do you think um, uh, the Coalition and Labor uh, will get more primary vote than they got in 2019? Again, bucking that trend, that slow decline in, in favour for the major parties. What do you reckon? I would have said yes, but I, but I think the fly in the ointment with that might be the independents standing against Liberals, the Liberals, which might just take a percentage or two off that. Yeah, I, I guess what we're talking about, seven seats there, seven blue ribbons, uh, yeah. may not affect the, 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 the national vote that much. Uh, well, well, it will split the coalition vote in those seven seats to, mm. you know, to give in these at least sort of you know high tens, maybe uh, maybe yeah. into the twenties and maybe more. Um, look, we do have others, including UAP on other polls. UAP's running about two or three, so there's a sort of seven percentile there on that primary vote that we attribute to others. Now, others are. You know, there's a whole raft of single-issue parties, Justice Party, Animal Justice Party, IMOP, uh, which is one of the anti-vax uh, mobs. There's, there's a whole raft of independents that run every time. In fact, at the last election, Jack, uh, others ran, which included UAP, at 10.63 of the primary vote. They got a little bit more than the Greens last time, didn't they? That's yeah, the they time. did. Oh, looking at that Greens figure... Look, they'd be very pleased with that. Put it that way. I don't know that it will uh, that it will be seen in an election. I probably think it'll be closer to eight or nine, but we'll see. I think if they got ten percent, they'd be doing a lap of the TV room with a vase in their hand. Yeah, they'd be very, very pleased. They, they, they'd have thought they won the premiership, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would mean ooh, a couple of senators, couple of, couple of new senators, couple of bright shiny. Green, new, bright, new green senators coming our way, I would think. Not quite sure on the state breakdowns there, so we don't know where they would come from. But anyway, on the two-party preferred Labor uh, leads, 53-47. That narrows down from 46 to 54 a week ago. And 55-45 in their favour a fortnight before that. Um, now, on that... Uh, 47-53 figure, uh, if that was uniform across the country, it's not going to be, of course, but if it was, uh, that would give uh, Labor a gain on the pendulum of about 10 seats, or gain of exactly 10 seats if it was a uniform swing, and they need net seven to win power in their own right. So, yes, it's it's uh, certainly Labor are looking reasonably good in, in, in that polling. But what I'd say is if, you know, on the basis of that uniform swing, which is, as I say, a little bit, uh, little bit tricky, um, that gain of 10 seats, gee, it means it's going to be really close, doesn't it? It does. And I mean, one thing is we have to remember, on those figures you'd kind of expect the government to lose. Yeah. But in our lifetime... Um, there have just been six opposition leaders who've won government from opposition. Six op opposition leaders who've won elections yeah. and gone into government. And that's out of about 20 or 23 elections. So it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And, and, and it's probably fair to say, too, that through most elections you've got, uh, in recent times, that you've got the opposition leading the polling as the campaign starts. Pretty much, yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd want to go back and have a look at that uh, to be sure. It certainly was the case in 2019. 
um, where Labor were well in front on that sort of 47, 40, 46, 54, 47, 53 sort of margin at the time. It's narrowing, but that 47, 53 on a uniform swing, which doesn't happen, would give Labor uh, a majority of uh, of four in the um, in, in in the new parliament. So not not a big, you know, we're not we're not talking landslides here at this stage on that polling on that. On that polling, some other polling is showing, including the Ipsos poll that I saw most recently, is showing Labor ahead fifty-five forty-five. Bearing in mind they got forty-eight and a half uh, in twenty nineteen, um, so it may be bigger. But on the news poll, it's uh, it's showing Labor down thirty-seven percent as primary vote. It needs that primary vote to be a you know thirty-seven thirty-eight. If it starts getting into the sort of mid thirties. That's that's when you can have some bad results. Of course, the coalition of thirty six, well, they got forty one in uh, in twenty nineteen. So their their vote has come down a lot just on the polling uh, as we start this election campaign. Yes, well, the way I see it overall is that um, uh, both results are possible, or all three results are possible. Like you know, a hung parliament, a, a Labor win, and a Liberal win. Uh, I don't yes. think it's. I don't think anyone's over the line yet, mm. um, um, and and that brings us to the campaign. There's a bit to do. Yeah, yeah. One or lost, one or lost in the campaign. Just quickly on the betting markets, got Labor fairly firm favourites at a buck thirty, and I think the coalition at three ten. On a separate market, uh, the uh, hung parliament is at three twenty. Um, you know, statistically unlikely. That's that's what. That's what you. That's what you're getting about the hung yeah. parliament. But if you've got a mess of uh, indies uh, who get in, there's currently three in the parliament. Uh, if you get five or six, then then you, that uh, hung parliament becomes more and more likely. I think there were six independents in the hung parliament uh, uh, in the Julia Gillard led election, weren't there? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I guess there were. There was uh, there was the one from South Australia. That was sort of Xenophon. Party group that might have been included in that, but yes, look. Um, uh, the more indies you get, the more cross benches you get, the more likely you get to a hung parliament. And we can talk about this if we get closer to a hung parliament. But the worst thing, the worst mistake I've ever seen a Labor government do was have that wedding breakfast thing with the wattle in the uh, lapels um, uh, when they married the Greens. There was a lot that went wrong at that time and basically it created the preconditions for the 2013 election. Um, mm. And, and, and the, the, look, we could talk about it all day. I'll just say very quickly, if, if Labor didn't get into bed with the Greens, they they would have had a, a, a much easier run. And it's not as if the Greens were going to go anywhere else. No, you know, exactly. It's not as if they were going to go with Tony Abbott. It was a lack of a lack of understanding of the way that the constitutional law works, mm. um, and it was a huge error in my view. And it just looked terrible. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, just very quickly, you've covered the spectrum of what can happen. What do you actually think will happen? And you know, you can you can have a couple of options. Um, you can have a couple of options. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly. Who do you think should win? Who do I think should win? Mm. Oh, gee, it's hard to say. I mean, I think the I think the government um, has been relatively competent, um, but their politics has been messy 
um, all the way through. And the question for the voters, I think, will be, and the one that will be most important to them is, do they think they will continue to be competent um, and or have they kind of run their course? Have they mm. run out of steam and run out of energy and run out of ideas? Um, I think, and, <coughs> excuse me, I think if I in any way involved in the Labor campaign, I, I would be drawing the attention of voters to the fact that, and this is very difficult for Labor to accept, but they, the Coalition didn't expect to win in 2019. So they wake up on a Sunday morning and go, oh, gee, hang on, we're, just, we're still in government. Hmm. And they really didn't have any ideas on how to go about that. Hmm. And furthermore, they've left a lot of skeletons lying around, hmm. um, you know, in terms of uh, sports rorts and uh, regional develop funding and all these kind of um, pork-barrelling exercises that left them wide open that showed that actually they were trying to minimise the scale of their loss. They were funding up coalition-held marginals. Uh, in the in the view, not that they were going to win them, um, but they weren't going to hopefully lose them by too much. So we did see a government sort of fall ass backwards into into government again, and not with ha- having too many great ideas about what they were going to do about it. If it was on me, I'd be really pressing for this idea that it is time to refresh uh, government. It is time to get some people in with some energy and enthusiasm. They might not be very much better than, than than the current mob, but the current mob are stale. That's the that's the way I'd be that's the way I'd be putting it. Um to well, voters well, 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 history, the Labor campaign. History history tells history tells us that the Australian voters change government when they think the other governments either got things dramatically wrong, got something mm. dramatically wrong, like the um, sadly that was the view in nineteen seventy five with the Whitlam government, or when they're just run out of power, run out of steam. Yes, and, and, and it doesn't happen very often. So it tends no. to be three, four elections, mm. um, three, four election victories before that happens. What they call the fag end of government, yeah. which is, uh, which is uh, the uh, you're just about done. You're just your ashes are in the in the ashtray, and it's just about time for you to go. And that's where we get this axiom of governments losing elections rather than oppositions winning them. And we would say that of Howard in '96. Um, after a long Hawke Keating government, run out of uh, rocket fuel, as, as Keating once put it. Uh, <coughs> uh, the Rudd Gillard uh, thing was different. We, we just talked about some of the distinctions there when they faced a hung parliament. I mean, they got rid of Rudd. You and I disagree on this, but they got, I, I, I think, you know, what they did in getting rid of Rudd before he was due to be re-elected and possibly by increasing his majority was just not understood by voters and and uh, it just looked tricky and awful and I got rid of a bloke who was popular amongst the electorate. Yeah, popularity is a funny thing, isn't it? You know? <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, he was very popular amongst the people who got to know him over Sunrise and very unpopular amongst the people who had to work with him. Well, yeah, popular, popular among people who didn't know him personally. Yeah, um, who hadn't met him. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's the way it goes. That was, yeah. the, way, that was the way it was put, actually. Yeah. But, 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 pop, but popularity is a funny thing. You know, mm-hmm. I'd say that um, my guess is that Kim Beasley was more popular than John Howard. He's a you know a, a likeable kind of fella, amiable, all that sort of stuff. And he had two cracks and couldn't win. 
Yeah, he's well on his way to a third drubbing in 2004 when they tapped yeah, him. Yeah, um, when, 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 when he got the tap on him, you know. So, yeah. Well, he was well on his way to a, perhaps a fourth in 2007 and uh, or 2006 and he got the tap on the shoulder and that was the last one. We don't, we don't, we're not, we won't be coming back to tap you again. You're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, the, the, the popularity likability thing, and I've no doubt that Morrison is unpopular and is kind of unlikable to mm. quite a few people. I just don't think it's all that important. I think voters look more at whether they think someone's going to be competent than rather than whether they'd be a nice bike to have a beer with. Yeah, look, just briefly with the news poll um, on those kind of likability factors, um, Morrison has gone, I think, three or four points ahead as preferred Prime Minister over Albanese um, when they were sort of neck and neck last week. Um, but Morrison's approval rating is negative 12 and Elbow's is negative 2. So neither of them are very popular <coughs> uh, yeah. or likeable, um, but um, but Morrison is distinctly unlikable with a negative 12. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone thought Bob Benzies was a likeable character. <laughs> well, yeah, you wouldn't, you know, if you were sitting in the Healy stand and... <laughs> You wouldn't want to get in the car. You wouldn't want to get in the rolls to have a bit of fun. You no. might just stay in the early stand and have a beer and watch yeah. the blues go around that one. Um, yeah. Look, um, um, listed listeners won't know this, but as a Carlton fan, you know this that after he had his stroke, they, they had a little special ramp where he could yeah. drive the Rolls Royce under the Heatley stand. Uh, and watch the footy without getting out of the car. It was like he was going. Was like he was going to the country footy, you know. Um, yeah. uh, and you stay in the car. The know? driver didn't honk the horn when Carlton kicked the goal. That was one difference. But he did get out of the car. You see, the, the driver that is get out of the car and just make sure that any 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 errant balls that, that were kicked out of bounds in the forward pocket, he he just knock them out of the way. Didn't, yeah. didn't damage the rails. Yeah, I, um, I, I always wondered whether the, um, uh, the the bloke with the the raffle tickets would come around and tap on the window because I, I used to do that at the country footy. <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, uh, when I was uh, uh, by the time I was sort of playing in the seconds, um, I, after I had a shower, you'd grab the raffle book in the bag and and head around and knock on the knock on the windows of all the cars around the ground and sell them a raffle ticket. You know, yeah, don't know if they ever did that. Don't know if they yeah. ever. <laughs> tapped on uh, Ming's window and said, hey, give us a couple of bucks. Give us a couple yeah. of bucks for the meat track. Yeah. Um, look, uh, we do have a long campaign. Um, uh, often four. Uh, we've got one that's nearly six. Uh, in fact, it's uh, one day short of six weeks. So it's a long campaign. And why do you think Morrison has opted for a long campaign? Bearing in mind just one thing that between the uh, time an election is called and, uh, <coughs> and beforehand, uh, the government can continue very, very expensive advertising um, that says, rah, rah, the government. But that can't happen once the poll has been called. But why do you well, think he's gone the six weeks? Well, I, I, it's hard to, hard to be absolutely sure what's in his mind, but I, I suspect he thinks that the more he exposes... Um, his opponent, uh, Elbow, Anthony Albanese, to, to public scrutiny, the better. Yeah. Um, mistakes have been made with this. Um, Malcolm Turnbull opted for a, a very long campaign um, uh, in 2019. Uh, the oh, trouble no, was Malcolm... Oh, <laughs> Turnbull, yeah. yeah. Yeah, trouble was that Malcolm had no energy um, uh, and, and, and sort of... 
kind of meandered his way through the campaign without really getting any pizzazz about it, and he almost lost. 2016, I think. 2016. To be fair to Malcolm, it cost him 70 mil. Um, he had, he had, to, pay, had to pony up his own money, didn't he? Had, yeah. to, pay, had to pay for his own campaign because the Liberal Party was broke. Um, look, there, you know, the, the long campaign does at least offer the possibility of exposing that small target strategy that, that Albanese is um, said to have adopted. And, and certainly it's not a policy-heavy campaign that he's looking at at this stage. It's a, um, it's a, It really is in that small target area. And, and the problem that he has with that, and it's sort of not so much that likability factor, but it's just the identification that do voters know enough about him uh, when they go into the polling booth, they might say, well, we know Scott Morrison's a bastard, but I don't even know what this bloke's about. I don't know what he stands for. I don't know what he's about. And that, that's, the, that's the problem, uh, that's the problem uh, uh, with that small target strategy, and it is exacerbated, potentially at least, with a longer campaign. Can be. Um, I, 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 having watched uh, Scott Morrison play the ukulele, my response... My attitude to him is that I think we know too much about Scott Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> too, too much of the trivia. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, knocking uh, up, knocking up uh, chook runs Sri- and Sri Lankan curries, and you know, God knows what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, That's embarrassing. Um, um, but but he, uh, there is, I think, there is an element to we don't know quite enough about um, the Labor leader. In fact, I think that was exi- it was a. I was watching the drum the other night, and a, a Labor person from Melbourne said, "Well, I don't know much about him, to be quite honest." And I thought, "Well, that's probably right, you know." I mean, yeah, about about Alba. You know? Yeah, look, I hate small target strategies because it it it, it, it takes voters for mugs. It, it it makes yes, it leaves you wide open to attacks from from your opponents, but what it actually says is that basically we do not want to have a contest of ideas. We are shirking that uh, because we're a little bit scared that someone will pick holes in our funding or our policies or mock us in some way. Uh, And that's a shame and it can be a great shame because by the time you get in, if you do, if you're lucky enough to win power and you get into government and then you introduce a... uh, a raft of, or suite of policies in a particular area, voters are entitled to say, well, you didn't tell us you are going to do this. So that's why I think it's poor. But also, I, look, I understand, I understand the political imperatives of the small target strategy after 2019. Uh, it's just that, um, you know, the, that vulnerability exists that, that there will not be enough of you well-known to voters. And uh, I had a chat with... Uh, a good mate of mine, he's a, an elderly fella, he's a big farmer, he's been involved in business most of his life, and, and, and he said to me, well, Bob Morrison's a bastard. In fact, he used a harsh, harsher term than that. And, and I said, well, you, you, that means you won't vote for him. He said, I didn't say that. What, what, because, did, did, because I don't did, really did he, know what the other blokes are about. Did he confuse him with a regional airline, did he? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, I think that's the... That's the <laughs> he did. He did use the c word. We might have to use the c word a little bit. Yeah. Well, as look, we I, go. I've got a mate from Sydney who's a lawyer. He used to do a lot of travel around the uh, rural New South Wales, and 
uh, we were having lunch one Friday over a few drinks and, and he was talking about the new regional airline. He just got off one that morning and he says, look, I've never thought it was a great airline, but I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> See you next Tuesday. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> which, which leads us in an odd kind of way to how this campaign might be run. And I'm told that some of the gallery journalists have put their feet down for what it's worth and they said, look, we are not going to get involved. We're not going to get on the bus uh, unless you tell us where we're going first and we're certainly not going to go right around all day with you blokes, whether it's Labor or Liberal, and then at the end of the day get given a press statement and a a two-and-a-half-minute crack at 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 a press conference. Uh, and it yeah, is really I, no way to cover the election. You know, I've, it's tricky. I've, I've never understood why, in the early days, they used, to send, their, they used to send their quite senior people on the bus and the plane, yeah. and, and I thought that's just a terrible way to cover the campaign. You know, I mean, you might send some junior flack out there to do that, but um, it, all it leads to is this absurd gotcha journalism, which doesn't take you anywhere, and, and I think people just ignore it by and large. Yeah, well, look, we've had a bit of it already with uh, with Morrison being asked about a uh, uh, a payment made to the former, well, what, what, what we say, the former mistress of a minister of the crown. I think five hundred k. Yeah, five hundred large, and he was asked about that in a sort of gotcha moment. I mean, look, he should be asked about. You know, when he said he didn't know anything about it, that's kind of where it all fell flat. And then Albanese, this is a classic gotcha, mate. Albo was asked what the unemployment rate was in the country, and he didn't know the answer. Gotcha. I mean, look, yeah. that's you know, that's kind of ridiculous stuff. I don't think that goes anywhere. More and more of this stuff. No, I, don't, I, I look. You know, it's the old, it's the old Keating, you know, leader of milk question. I mean, what do you expect? Your prime minister, you want to pop down to 7-Eleven and get you the milk and the bread in the morning. It's not his job um, to know what the price of a litre of milk is because uh, John Howard stood up in that debate and that was a 96 debate and said he knew it was a buck fifty a litre and, you know, as if he was down the shop every week. Um, we go, Yeah, we, so unfortunately our campaigns, you know, the hard hats and high vis, Jack, it's just going to be filled with a lot of these moments, aren't they? It will be. I mean, I'm sure Prime Minister Keating would have known the uh, the cost of a Mahler CD or the uh, or the price <laughs> of a, a Second Empire clock from France. But you know, um, a well, litre of milk. No, he'd know yeah. that very well. He'd know yeah. that very yeah. well, and he'd get a he'd get a bargain on it too. You know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and but that's yeah, absolutely right. I mean, these sort of silly. Questions about you know what's the CPI, what's uh, what's the unemployment rate, what's the current interest rate, uh, and uh, and expect to get a gotcha moment from journos. Uh, and, and and look, if uh, the early days of this campaign are anything to go by, uh, we are going to have plenty of this sort of yeah. stuff going on. And what we're going to try and do, Jack, is keep away from those gotcha moments, or at least. Uh, mock them mercilessly, and um, uh, because I don't think uh, 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 listeners uh, or our listeners or voters generally care much about them. No, I don't think so either. Be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. When, uh, they, when, they, when they get in the in the polling booth and lick the end of that little stub pencil stub, you know, uh, before they uh, make the mark, I don't think they're thinking about whether Elbow knew what the, uh, uh, the unemployment rate was. 
No, well, they've just finished the democracy sausage, and um, yeah. and they're feeling pretty good about things. Um, so <laughs> they're popping out of the cake stall afterwards. Uh, we, yeah, I mean, look, and, and well, again, we get back to that. Maybe less than half of people will be actually doing that. You know, when they do yeah. stick the ton on the pencil, it might not be uh, election day. Uh, it might be a week or two beforehand. So that means we're going to have the campaign rev up in the first couple of weeks, you know, mm. and it's going to be a lot of, because of the small target strategy, largely, they're going to be, it's going to get very personal and nasty, wouldn't you say? Probably will. Yeah. 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 There's a lot at stake. Um, so the gloves, the gloves are already off as far as I can see. So that, so, so Morrison is going to be running an attack at, Albanese all the time, and that is based on this. Hasn't been in government. Uh, well, he has. Uh, hasn't been. Has never. I think his attack last week was he's never. He's never uh, created a budget. Um, and uh, Morrison said he'd done a couple. Of course, he had. Uh, so he's never been treasurer. Inexperienced. That sort of thing. Personal attacks because Albanese is going to try and stick and move around policy every time. Don't know how far that takes you. Um, uh, I think the best prime minister of our lifetime, Bob Hawke, had never made a budget or had an ec- economic portfolio either. Yeah, uh, look, absolutely right. And, and and that personal attack can really backfire, particularly mm. if, you know if you're just constantly negative and people look at you know because people do know a lot about Morrison and they might dislike him and they said you actually dislike him a little bit more now. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that may not be a good thing. But there are going to be plenty think, of stunts. There'll be there'll be the. Um, I like uh, the stunts. I like the stunts because they're just good oh, entertainment. No. I, I think they're bad politics, but they're good entertainment. Terrible, terrible. Now look, uh, you can remember an old Labor salt uh, on the on the hustings, Jack, um, walking walking into a drinker. Tell me that yeah. one. Oh, yeah, well, but Barry, this is many years ago. I was told this story by a, a union official from, I think, Warrnambool, a meat worker official down there. They had Barry Jones, who at that stage was still famous for being a quiz. Uh, Very champion. bright man, Barry Jones. Smarter yeah. than you and me put together, mate. Yeah, smarter than everyone. Smarter than everyone, Barry. You know. <laughs> um, uh, and anyway, they thought that uh, this bloke thought they'd take him into a pub. Um, uh, and, and the locals would love him. It's not his natural one, environment, though, is it? Because they watch him on the picker box and all that yeah. sort of stuff. You know? So <laughs> everyone's very pleased to see Barry and crowding around him and shaking his hand and all that sort of stuff. And Barry mm-hmm. whispers to this bloke, says, what do I do now? And, uh, and, and, and the meat worker official says, you shout, you shout, shout around at drinks. I haven't got any money. <laughs> 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 so you're absolutely right. Uh, it was taking Barry well outside of his normal environment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and yeah, unfair. Uh, he preferred to be at a cafe with a book. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be like you know, like Bob Carr taking a book to the footy, so he could read yeah. a novel. Just so he could <laughs> yes. read a novel while the footy was going on. You know, <laughs> yes, he did do that. And look, wasn't just a paperback either. Bob Carr it was the big, the big hardcover tome as well. Yeah, you know, history yeah. of the Civil War and you know U.S. American Civil War and all these sorts of things. Yeah, that's yeah it was, if, it, if it was any bigger, I would have thought Kevin Rudd had written it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Look, I did want to talk. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're actually gonna call when things go wrong. It's actually the Peter Knott 
segment of the program. And Peter Knott was the Labor MHR for Gilmore between 1993 and 1996. A great eccentric and much love within the party. Had a teaching background and so forth. A parliamentarian only briefly. <coughs> and uh, he won... Um, he won uh, uh, election in 1993 in the Gilmore Electorate, which is, uh, well, the south coast of New South Wales, basically. In the old yeah. days, it used to come up a bit into the highlands. But uh, uh, nowadays, it's uh, and has been for a long time around Nara, Kiama, and going further down to Batemans Bay and, and those sorts of places. And Peter Knott was, as I say, he was a bit of a teacher. We'll tell a few stories from Peter Knott because he was just a classic on the campaign trail. It was absolutely beautiful. And keep you going for a good three or four weeks on the Peter Knott segment. But uh, the outstanding one, and people may know this one, is the 1993 election, Jack, you remember, it was a G as their first GST election where... John Hewson proposed a GST from opposition and Labor, under Keating in power, decided to knock it off. Uh, what was it called? Fightback, wasn't it? Um, uh, Fightback, the, the, yes, but uh, the central uh, central policy uh, element was an establishment of a goods and services tax, which was gave, which gave Labor plenty of ammunition, of course. And and there came a, a great moment in that campaign where Hewson was interviewed on a current affair by Mike Willisy and asked about a birthday cake. And just a little bit of background there, the GST was designed to be, under the under the fight back model, was designed to be universal, a tax on all goods and services. But as they got closer to the election, uh, Houston had decided to make uh, a few exemptions in goods and services, and this left uh, him a bit open to criticism. But then we moved to the Willisy interview where Houston was asked, what would the GST be on a birthday cake? And, uh, and he replied, well, it depends on what's in the cake. And it, <laughs> you could just see the election <laughs> being lost right at that moment. Because everyone at home just went, what do you mean? What's in the cake? You know, flour, eggs, butter? Well, it depends what's in the cake. So Labor had uh, Labor had him basically on the ropes with, with his own response there. And uh, in Queensland, Keening had attended a chemist shop where uh, he'd walked around, with, walked around the shop with the pharmacist and all the media in tow and the chemist would say, well, these Band-Aids, they've got GST on them, but the... But the but the aspirin doesn't and, and all this sort of stuff. And it just it created this idea of a sort of nightmare around this GST yeah. tax on what was taxable and what wasn't. So having had a good day at the chemist shop, uh, uh, Keating decided to have another one. After the birthday cake, decided we'll go to the baker's and uh, they went to uh, a baker's shop in Bomaderry, which is uh, near Nara. And uh, Peter Knott, candidate at this stage, Labor candidate for Gilmore, uh, has um, has got to do the arranging. Go and find a bloke who's going to be on our side, who runs a baker shop. And so he's, he's going to he's going to be the forward scout. <laughs> Go and find him and tee him up. What, what, what do they so, call him? The, the, the advance man. He's got to be yeah, the yeah, advance yeah, man. Tee him up. Make sure he's on our side. And we'll get the media down there. We'll get Paul to walk around the shop, and he'll say, "What's you know, what, what that birthday cake over there?" It's just it was a direct play on 
on what had happened. So uh, Peter not does as he's told and he's teed up a baker in Bomaderry and and uh, and the Keating entourage arrives and in marches Paul Keating to the baker shop. I don't think Peter had been all that switched on about uh, you know, getting the right baker on board because as soon as the baker saw Keating, he started moaning about payroll tax, which is a state tax anyway. And you can see steam coming out of Keating's ears. And, and within minutes, he just marched off straight back into C1, slammed the door and gone. And, and Peter Knott was left uh, left to <laughs> left to shield some fairly angry messages from uh, the from uh, the party organisation. And after that moment, Jack, and this is where we have to be a little bit rude, Peter Knott did, in fact, win the election, and we'll talk about his behaviour in the campaign in episodes to come, but Peter Knott was known only uh, uh, by, by Paul Keating in the third person as the cunt from the pie shop, as... <laughs> Fucking Labor parliamentarian, <laughs> Labor parliamentary colleague, knew it wouldn't de- didn't didn't call him by name, but only called him the cunt from the pie shop. We'll have more I'd, on Peter. I'd, I'd call He's that. A I'd man. call that. I'd call that excellent brand. brand. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's great you name and, recognition. You, know, you and you and you and the cunt from the pie shop. You go and do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's some wonderful stories about Peter Knight. He was a great, wonderful eccentric, and I think we need actually a few more uh, less sort of machine-type oh, people and a few eccentrics, don't we, in our, in our politics, Jack? Not Bob Catter-type eccentrics. Not that crazy. But we do need, we do need some colourful types. We need a bit of colour in our parliament. I think, we, I think we need them in life generally, but, yes, particularly in parliament. Yes, indeed. Um yeah, so more on, on more on Peter Knott. There's some fantastic stories there, so we'll continue those all through the campaign. Uh, big issues now, Jack. Um, you know, we, we don't have a lot of policy up for grabs, so we do have a, those sort of what we might call personality issues in play here, don't we? We do. Yeah, yeah. So um, trust. Who yeah. wins? Who wins? Who wins trust? <laughs> well, I can it, see arguments against on both sides. Yeah, well, I sort of, you know, you, I don't know where you would, but I, I kind of expect politicians to tell me a few porkies, to be quite honest. I, I'm never surprised when they do, you know. Yeah. Um, it's probably, it's, it, it, it's worse, I think, when, not just when they lie, but when the lie is part of the cover-up. I think that's kind of when it gets bad, you know. Playing the ukulele and blaming the wife for uh, for going to Hawaii, for example. Uh, don't lose it. Don't well, lose. Well, don't well, pick up a lot of trust with that. That that just looks stupid. Oh, that, why, why? Again, you know, you and I have been in the caper for a while. You just look at that and say, "What are you? What are your advisors telling you?" Yeah. Why, why are you explaining anything? <laughs> Put We're that bloody That's ukulele right. down for a start. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you make another curry, I'll tell you what you'll wear. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when you're running a small target, as uh, as Elbo is, how do you how do you get that sort of perceptions of competence across? It's not easy, is it? You know, how no, can it's you not. be the how can you be the one to trust at least in terms of your you know ability to lead a competent government and be competent yourself when you're running this small target strategy? I don't think most voters expect the government to get everything right. So, like, say on the COVID 
situation. I, don't, I can't think of a government anywhere around the world who's got everything right. Um, yeah. uh, the best you can hope no, for is, is, is you get, you know, kind of most of the big issues right most of the time. That's about as well as you can go, you know. Um, and, uh, and that's what I think people are looking for in a the government. They're not, not looking for perfection. Um, they've got a, a better understanding of human nature than that. Um, what they're looking for is sort of basically get the ducks in a row, you know, um, uh, and anything more than that um, is a bonus. Yeah, so look, uh, do, do people have too great an expectation of government? Oh, I think sometimes they problems. do. I think sometimes yeah. they do. And we, we talked about the budget the other week and um, how it's turned into a cargo cult. You know, where, where the media, the way the media covers that sort of stuff is they're looking to ensure that no single Australian is worse off from government activities. And mm. that's just not how government works. Whatever you do well, is, going to, is going to annoy somebody. It, you know? it can't be. You, you'd never reform it. I mean, look, we've had probably a good 10, 12 years where reform just is a dirty word, but uh, you, you can't reform things if, you, if you've if got this sense of can the, can the minister now tell me that, that no Australian will be worse or would be worse off under, under his policy. I mean, that, that's, that, that's the sort of crazy stuff that we've got. You know, that, you know that's, the, that's a really soft opposition attack for a start, but this idea that you can't, affect change that overall is beneficial, that overall will drive economic growth or create better environments or create better outcomes in education. You can't have change in those areas because one person may be put out by it. No, 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 it's it's just no way to go about it. And I don't think people – I don't think – I think that's what the media coverage expects, but I don't think it's what voters expect. Yeah, all right. Okay, so we're going to go through issues as we go. This week, major issues with voters, this week we're looking at climate change. And I guess the first question is, Jack, is it a big issue in this election? Well, I I went to your pal Barry Cassidy's Twitter feed the other week. Barry. uh, and, um, and, and, And he had this to say about the Morrison government. Tone-deaf government. Is it any wonder they face serious challenges from independence in previously safe seats? This is the election when climate change finally arises as an issue and they don't see it. Now, oh, the wow. thing that I enjoyed about that was <laughs> that you sort of got the impression that Barry's been saying that climate change is going to be the issue in every election for about the last five, you know, uh, but it hasn't quite made it. But this time it's going to make it, you know. 2007, it could, you couldn't call it a... Climate change election because they were me tooing. Um, yes, they were. Uh, Twenty ten, certainly not an election issue at that time, um, but it arose in twenty thirteen, but in a different way because uh, Gillard was punished and Labor were punished for the carbon tax, the tax that we were not going to have, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, then we go to twenty sixteen just can't see. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't a voting determinant, but it wasn't a, you know, in some cases. So, we're, you know, in the in the wrap-up after an election, good polling companies and good market research companies mm. will go through and say, well, why did you decide to vote the way you did? It didn't matter which way you voted, but why did you do it? 
and that could be the economy, employment, cost of living, housing, uh, interest rates. It can be a whole lot of things. And somewhere along that line, there'll be climate change. But I don't see climate change in the last, say, five or six elections fitting in that top three. Well, if you, if, if you restricted your information input to um, uh, the major media outlets and Twitter, you would think that climate change is, the, is a huge determinant. But I, I actually think it's been a losing election issue. Sorry, pro-climate pro activism has been a losing election issue, election issue much more than it's been a winning one. Um, yeah, look, there is the argument about 2019 and, sh- and, and the... Uh, you know, former Green leader Bob Brown and his um, uh, his con- yeah his convoy into Queensland, and uh, Labor afterwards uh, conceded that it was just a disaster. It was not something they had any control over, but it was an absolute disaster because it pointed out uh, to the punters that Bill was having five bob each way on on climate <coughs> and mining development in Queensland. And, uh, and that's that's because if you ask people, do they think we should do something about climate change? Do we, do, do we think we should be um, jumping on the climate activist um, uh, bandwagon? They'll say, yes, 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 of course we, we, of course we will. And, and they'll keep saying that until you say it's going to cost you money. And then they say, well, I'm not, so, I'm not quite so sure about that. Well, uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, it depends. I mean, so I think the answer in short is it, it's going to be a voting determinant in places like and, and in places like Goldstein, in places like uh, Higgins, in places like um, uh, North Sydney and 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 uh, Wentworth, uh, in places like you know these blue ribbon seats, because there is a perception among um, what we might call centrist liberal voters that that this government has done not enough. So this is why you know, we do have the climate two hundred independence now. We've these are had, these are the well off liberal centrist voters who can afford well, for it to cost them some money. You're going to be worth three or four million just to think about living there, you know. Um, yeah, so, but but it, it, in the seats where elections are normally determined. This sort of activity is nowhere near as popular because these are people, you know, um, who uh, for, for whom it is going to hurt, mm. um, and who can't afford just to say, "Oh well, I'll buy an electric vehicle." Yeah. Well, what we saw in twenty nineteen was a massive swing in Hunter, which was uh, held mm. by uh, uh, Joel um, Smacker, Fitzgibbon, yeah. uh, Fitzpatrick, yeah. and. Um, and, uh, uh, and and like I said, fourteen or fifteen percent swing against him in a very safe Labor seat. Uh, he, he ended up holding the seat, of course. But gee, you got the feeling the smacker looked around after that election. But gee whiz, you know, there's actually working class people in my seat. I had no idea mining. I had no idea what was going on here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you never see any of them on the golf course. That's the thing, you know. Because uh, anyway, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a critic of him because um, he, um, he he came to this realization very late, Jack. <laughs> he came to this this realization that Labor had was perhaps letting down its coal miners, and really, coal miners are well, really, you know, historically the lifeblood of the party. 
Um, and uh, and and he just made a view to say, "Oh, well, look, you know, we, we can't be we can't be winning seats in the, in in the inner city and winning seats in the Hunter." But we flipped that with the coalition because they are now running the risk of losing two or three blue ribbon seats that potentially they won't get back for three or four elections. And that's going to be a real hard thing for them to do. If if they're able to hold if they're able to hold the seats they've got, lose two, three, four to Labor uh, from that sort of marginal seat range, but then drop, say, and I'm told the polling. You know, it's early days before an election was called, but I'm told the polling in McKellar is very, very bad for Joseph Felisky, very, very bad for Joel Frydenberg, uh, and looking a bit dodgy uh, um, in Goldstein, uh, where Zoe Daniel is the independent there. Uh, it looks like Zali Stegall on that polling, early polling, uh, will will hold Warringah, and, uh, and so they might lose, say, three or four. And they'll never get them back. And well, they'll get them back, but not for a very long time. So that will make their ability to fight future elections really, really difficult, hand behind the back. And that is essentially on climate change, I would think, and perhaps more broadly a perception that, that uh, Morrison is not, uh, not their most loved politician. I don't think you can win the election in the inner suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne. Um, uh, so, you can't, uh, but what I'm saying is, you, so you have to, right. so you have to, so you have to risk those sets. Is the answer in my view? Yeah, well, they're certainly fighting. Uh, they're certainly fighting because if, if I'm aware of the polling, they'd be aware of it too. It, it's showing Frydenberg behind. It's showing Felinski behind in McKellar. No one's even talked about McKellar, um, and that's you know old Bronny's seat. And if you lose those, you know it's kind of they're out of the blue top seats, so you can run around in marginals and. and and, and do what you like and hope like hell that uh, that those swing seats uh, uh, fall your way or enough of them. But if you're losing if you're losing three or four from the other end, it's it's very it's disastrous. So I think mm. the answer is, and you may not agree, the answer is that climate change is going to have an impact mm. on this election. But from those areas that the Liberal Party had perhaps um, taken for granted. Mm. Yeah, I, I still think the election will be by and large one uh, where it generally is in the outer suburbs of Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane uh, and in the regional areas. And in those areas, uh, I don't think um, climate activism uh, or big changes for to, to, to try and prevent climate change uh, are going to be a winning issue. I mean, if, you, if, if, you, if you're watching Twitter or the ABC, you would think that if only we'd voted for Bill Shorten three years ago, there would have been no bushfires um, uh, and, um, and there'd be no floods. That a vote for Bill Shorten would have prevented all of those things. And I don't think people believe anything like that. I went, I went looking for some polling on this, Jack, and, and um, there's not a lot around. There's not a lot around. No. Uh, there's voting determination stuff back from 2019. But but this was a poll conducted by Essential um, uh, on March the 22nd, and it came in the wake of floods in Queensland and New South Wales. And uh, it said, you know, the first question was, given climate change is happening, the government needs to do more to prepare for extreme weather events. 39% strongly agree, 26 somewhat agree. 
65 agree, basically. So if there isn't, it's next question, if there isn't significant action on climate soon, we can expect flooding in Australia to be even worse in the future. 35 strongly agree, 22 somewhat agree. If we're serious about reducing the future impact of floods, Australia needs to replace coal with renewable energy as soon as possible. 29 and 24, in that strongly agree, somewhat agree, 53 or up. And finally, the government has contributed to the extent of recent flooding in, in Queensland and New South Wales by not doing enough about it. And there we have 23 and 23, 46, uh, strongly agree or somewhat agree. Look, it, first thing I'd say about that is we don't know where those where those polls were undertaken. Um, I, mm -hmm. I looked at the methodology, but it didn't show any sort of um, uh, accurate uh, uh, or, 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 or disclose where that, where those uh, where those uh, uh, questions were put and what election and what electorates I should say. Um, and 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 also you would say um, you're asking those questions when. Uh, the effects of floods in this case are fairly raw uh, on people and they're prepared to perhaps answer in ways that they might not answer a month or two later. And that's not mm. calling people vacuous, but it's just that it's raw in their minds and constant sort of media coverage. But that's the closest thing I could find um, uh, to uh, this having some sort of uh, determination on, on the current election. The... Uh, as I say, I think it will have an impact. I think it will have an impact in Hunter and Shortland. I certainly think it does. And and, and Albanese is going to have to ask some questions. It's going to have uh, an impact on how they get on in some Queensland seats, which are probably too far away for them to win now. We're talking about Labor. But it's certainly going to – It's are they going to be able to hang on to Hunter? Because Hunter's now a marginal seat. Shortland's well, now a marginal seat. I actually think the Labor – Party position on climate change has cost them the last two elections. Okay, all right. Well, we will see as we go through, um, and, it may, and, it, and, it, and it may well cost them this one as well. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. Look, I, 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 if you were going to look for a strong factor, and we'll look at all these as we go. If we're going to look at a strong factor, CPI seems to be the focus. Certainly, it's a labour focus. Cost of living. And there are major pressures on Australians at the moment. Maybe they'll feel a little bit favourable, more favourable about um, the government because uh, the juice is twenty cents cheaper uh, post budget than it was, well, before the budget. Uh, it was hitting up around two dollars, which is kind of <laughs> bloody expensive if you're a commuter, if you're a car commuter in Sydney or Melbourne, any of the major capital cities. That's a big. If you're buying two. Two tanks a week, mate. That's a lot of day. Um, well, I think I, I think I'm going to go back to Australia if I get my government petrol card back. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's nice if someone else pays for it. Yeah. Uh, put it that way. Yeah, look, and it, and it is a major issue now. But now we're seeing you know, juice down about a buck eighty, and was was tipping over. I saw. Um, I saw just just before the budget, people queuing out of, out of the service station in my neck of the woods, you know, five six cars back because the juice was below two dollars, a dollar ninety seven a litre, and and uh, so yeah, people are you know constantly aware of this, particularly in the regions where you do a lot of driving. So cost of living would seem to be a, a major issue for most of Australia, and I think it's that's going it's going to be interesting, isn't it though? Um, these inflation and cost of living issues are worldwide, 
um, and there is very little, if anything, that, that an Australian government can do about it. Um, and will that carry over into our election? I just don't know. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, an unusual, be, it's an unusual situation. Be convinced by the argument, you know, you, it, it, it's a sort of standard Texas will always be lower under a Liberal government. Interest rates will always be lower. You won't hear that one. By the way, interest rates mm. will always be lower under a Liberal government. You won't hear that one because we're going to have an interest rate rise on top of CPI living, whether, regardless of who's in government, by the way, mm. most of the banks predict it will happen about September. Um, and uh, so we'll have an interest rate rise, which means basically you'll start getting a little bit more money for your money. Uh, or, but if you want to borrow money, it's still bloody cheap. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, I guess we get back to that role of government type issue where, you know, how, how much can, can fiscal policy drive things like CPI? I mean, yes, we can reduce tariffs, on uh, on juice um, uh, and uh, reduce uh, tinker with a little bit of uh, uh, we might even tinker with the GST uh, to to get it down you know to to but it's it's all sort of nonsense isn't it because you are just tinkering at what are essentially sort of global global issues um, and, and we've talked in our other uh, podcast about you know, there's going to be there's going to be a shortage of food around the world. Coming, mm. coming yes, in, indeed. in the next year or two. Uh, in, in fact, come in the coming months. So people will have these pressures regardless of who's in power. But I guess what it comes down to is the credibility of those who say uh, it'll be cheaper, it'll be more affordable, you'll be better looked after under us. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the, the honest answer is, is to say we think we'll manage it better. Yeah. Um, but the problem is there. Um, we can't make it go away. Um, but the honest approach is to say, I think we can manage it better. I think that is the best response. Otherwise, you've got this idea that, you know, governments, you do get into that governments can solve all your problems type area and, mm. and, and you're creating, you know, um, uh, 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 the potential for a sort of lot of backlash from politics if you promise the world and you can't deliver. Um yeah, so shall we wrap up? I mean, that, that, that was true of COVID. When I mean, the worst thing you could say about COVID is that we can cure it or we can make it go away, um, uh, or um, you know, we'll get rid of it. Um, uh, whereas the right approach was to say we can manage the problem better than the other lot can. All right, now we're going to wrap up this first show. I'm going to put the acid right on you. Give me a result. Now, bear in mind, you can change it next week. You can change it all the way. If you're in the punditry business, you've got to have a bit of bit of laxity. You may, I'm a pundit by nature. Oh, Jesus, I'm timid after 2019. But uh, tell me, tell me, who's going to win and, and why? Oh, look, this could be hard with the head. I've never voted Liberal in my life, so um, I'm kind of hoping that Labor will get up. Um, uh, uh, probably a little bit more so than last time, because I've never been a Bill Shorten fan. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, you're an old SL man, you know. He's He was in the wrong faction, but you know. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, uh, so I, at the moment, I, I would expect Labor to win, but um, uh, unlike the pundits in the last election, I'm not sure that that's going to happen, um, and. Um, I, I, won't, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it doesn't happen. I'd just be, mm. oh, well, he didn't win, you know. Um, but at the moment, I, I expect him to win, but it's a long way away. 
It is a long way away and we you can change. The best thing about being a pundit is you can change and even if you're proven wrong, you can just be really you silent just, about it. You just, you just forget it happened. Just forget <laughs> it happened. Just look at your pals on the Insiders program. They've all forgotten that they were all wrong. <laughs> mate, you know? mate, it's not about being right. It's about being certain that, yes, <laughs> that yeah, your opinion yeah. uh, is, is good enough. Now, look um, – uh, I, I, look, just for what it's worth, I think. So, I, so who do you think? You know, come uh, on, come well, on. at this stage, I'm prepared to change, and I'll give you a bit of an inkling on the goatee trials I go through. But uh, I, I say Labor by with a majority of five in the new parliament. Uh, so, not so close enough. Uh, I think uh, we'll get a couple of the indies up in those blue ribbon seats. I think two at two at this stage might not happen at all, but I'm going to say two at this stage. Uh, the go-down trail reading that I do is individual seat bedding, um, and that'll take a little while to roll out, firstly, and then to suit, to get some sort of idea of trend. Uh, and so what we do there, or what I do there, is look at a band of marginal seats both held by the Labor and the Coalition and look at the bedding and look at the trends. And what we saw in 2019 with this, which is why I was quite pessimistic about a shortened uh, um, uh, election, was that... Was that um, short winning the election was that uh, a lot of those Queensland marginals uh, Labor had lost favouritism favouritism two weeks before the poll but by the time the poll was called uh, the coalition were in very healthy uh, levels of favouritism in those seats so that's the stuff I tend to look at when we're turning for a result it's not it's not uh, it's not perfect it's it's uh, it's not papal but uh, it's the one I use so we're at this stage I'm going to say labor by five mm. well we'll see we shall plenty, see and we will be time to get back. your bets on yes we will be back uh, uh, we will be back with uh, high uh, hard hats and high viz uh, in um, uh, in a week's time and we'll give you the updates as we go on good to see you Jack well done mate Cheers. See you, mate.